SAFM leading the conversation. The viewpoint, eight to ten p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songezomapete on SAFM. Over the years, South Africa has been rocked by a slew of accounting scandals and company failures with prominent firms implicated in lapses of ethical conduct and have displayed suspect behavior when carrying out their auditing duties in companies, while some are reported to have misrepresented financial data. These lapses have caused the profession to suffer a crisis of major loss of public trust and confidence. Professionals have to advance a culture of accountability, correct the culture of selective consequence management and full disclosure. Corporates and government have to integrate ethics into normal risk management and monitoring processes. What all that means, Mr. Magan Naidu, Head of Assurance. The quest of ethics and leaderships in accounting firm. He's on the line to talk to us about how truly valuable this kind of discussion is, especially at this time when we look to rebuild a society that, by most indicators, lies in tatters. Good evening, Magan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sangezo. Let's talk about the profession of accounting specifically, or not only are they, of course, the ones who are breaching this public trust. But let's talk about the profession and how fundamental it is in the corporate space to continuously be the beacon of hope, sturdy, good old ethics, as well as to be above reproach when it comes to accounting in the true sense. Yes, thanks, uh, Sangeza. You know, um, when you describe ethics, it's uh, it's often described as doing the right thing when nobody's looking. And, you know, I certainly think that uh, when you look at us as a country, um, we've certainly had a fall from grace um, in terms of South Africa. Um, People will recall that not too long ago we were rated uh, number one for financial reporting in this country. And I don't need to remind people about the the slew of negative publicity that we've endured as a profession. Uh, so, you know, I do think that the public has lost trust uh, due to the many corporate governance failures that we've had. The accounting profession, for instance, it has cycled the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants. It also has within that space auditors, and you've got URBA for that, the ind- independent regulatory body for auditors. What is their role from an oversight perspective, from being the ethical guideline in the context of the respective professions of accountants and auditors, and their ability or their powers even to rein in those within their profession who tend to stray outside the tram lines? Yes, so there's a distinction between CA, or what we call a chartered accountant, who obviously uh, fall under the ambit of SICA, and then the registered auditor, which are, which are the guys that sign, or the individuals that sign um, audit opinions that practice, uh, you know, that engage in public practice, which are regulated by other. So um, almost, well, CAs, all RAs are CAs, so Urba has the power to regulate all registered auditors. Um, and when you talk about powers, you know, the Urba has the power to fine auditors, to disbar them from uh, practicing in public. 
And when you look at SICA, um, SICA only has the power to regulate individuals that are registered uh, chartered accountants. So if someone is not an RA, which is a registered auditor, uh, SICA, you know, will not have any power over them as an RA, but it's uh, highly likely that SICA has power over them as a chartered accountant. So there's, there's that level of, uh, you know, distinguishing. In relation to the training, and I'm just going to focus on this profession for a while because some of the scandals we have seen, and if you can look at how PwC has, not PwC, I beg your pardon, to PwC, specifically KPMG in relation to all things telecom, some great consulting firms, including but not limited to your McKinsey's, how they have got on paper some of the most stringent requirements both to enter as an employee. They pride themselves in the kind of ethics that they portray the globe over. They pride themselves as being a proper blue chip organization that has got presence the world over and all of the things associated with it. And yet the kinds of scandals that have hit this country because of those two organizations speaks to anything but that. The question I really am asking, how does such a scandal take place in spaces where such brands have got the kind of repute ordinarily they would have enjoyed? Thanks, Angelus. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to practicing, you know, what you preach. So it's it's all, and this, this goes for, you know, um, any, any corporate or any organization. Um, you have to practice uh, what you preach, and I'll give you an example. So, if you if you have an ethics uh, hotline, for example, and if you have a whistleblowing policy, if there is a tip off, um, as as an entity, you need to make sure that you follow that up and take it seriously. So, in other words, put action to your words. So, you you need to live by by your values. You mentioned whistleblowing. Are there enough protections in the private sector for those persons who, in the course of dealings of their work with their clients and other stakeholders to what they do as work, are they sufficiently encouraged to, in instances where they engage what really should not be happening, if not even criminal, are they encouraged to, first of all, come out? If they are encouraged, the next step would be are they protected when they do so? And the protection is not just job security because we know how many people have been frustrated within jobs to the point that they decide to resign, constructive dismissal, if you like. Are they encouraged? Are they protected? And are they used as beacons of truly standing for what is right such that when something like that does happen, these people are seen and treated like the heroes they are? So yeah, the, yeah, I think you know this would obviously be different for for each entity, and I, I guess it's up to the different organisations as to how much they encourage uh, whistleblowers to come forward, um, how diligently they follow up uh, when those whistleblowers do come forward, and then of course what protection. They offer them as well. I can tell you, for example, at Ngubani, we certainly uh, encourage whistleblowers to come forward. In fact, 
we've just re um, we've just put in a new ethics management software. So from our perspective as in Gubani, we certainly encourage whistleblowers to come forward. And um, you know, from a protection point of view, um, at at Gubani, we certainly take the protection. And you you mentioned job security, but not only job security. We take the physical protection of our whistleblowers very seriously. And if ever uh, the need arises for us to, let's say, for example, provide an individual with uh, protection in terms of a bodyguard, etc., we will do that. We're in conversation. So, so, yeah, sure. Carry on. Carry on. Sorry. So, so I, you know, that's... That's, uh, I'm just giving you an example of how seriously we as a firm at Ngubani take, take those issues. And, you know, again, when we look at um, the corporate sort of universe in the country, I guess um, it's, you know, you have different elements, let's say, of seriousness with which different organizations um, take this. Let's get some stories coming out of the South African living rooms, cars, hospital beds, police stations, wherever you might be stationed as you listen to this conversation that I am having. Songazamabeka with Mr. Magan Naidu, Head of Assurance at Ngubane & Co. The question of ethics and leadership, sustainability reporting and the 25th anniversary rebrand. Let's just focus on the question of ethics for now. Have you, and please when you call, don't bother giving us your name, just say anonymous and wherever you are. Tell us in San Francisco for all we care. Here's what I'm really interested in. Have you ever been in a situation whereby the thing you ultimately ended up doing was to pretend you didn't see anything? I'm not interested in who you are. Please. It's okay. That ship has sailed. I'm not the one to make you accountable. Have you been in a situation where you could have gone left, but you decided to go right, or you could have gone right and you decided to go left? You decided to pretend you didn't see something or you actually put everything that you had on the line because for you, what was right was always going to be right. We're talking about ethics, being in employment, being in business, being in government, wherever. Have you been dealt with a situation that questions integrity, that questions ethics, that questions what is right? We're taking your calls. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That's the number to dial. 011-714-2006. Rules, please. Let's remember the WhatsApp rules. They don't change. They will never change. Less than a minute. No background noise. If you are driving, we can't always guarantee that your sound would be great, even though it sounds nice to you. Not always with us. It's 20 past. Let's take a short break. Mr. Maganaidu returns. <laughs> We're back. We're live on air. Mr. Maganaidu, Head of Assurance at Ngubani and Company. We're talking the question of ethics in leadership. Can we talk about the relationship between government and private sector? Patrice Mutsepa referred to it in 2018 at the Obama, well, at the Nelson Mandela lecture when former U.S. President Barack Obama gave the lecture. And he had mentioned something along the lines, which for the first time a prominent business person had said, as far as I was aware, that 
in as much as we might lament corruption in government, private sector is always or almost always the facilitator or the corresponding party there too. And I thought the penny had dropped at that point because for once there was an honest confrontation of a reality in this country. If on an ordinary day you just Google corruption, you would almost always think it's something that is happening only in the public service, whereas we know it's anything but. Morgan? So, yeah, I think, you know, that's, that sort of uh, perception that corruption happens um, only in the public sector is certainly not true from what we've seen, um, you know, come out in, in recent times. I think that would go, you know, the same would go for sort of industries. Um, you know, you can't say that it's limited to a particular industry or a particular geography Yes. Uh, you know, or a developed market or an emerging market for that instance. I think the reality of the situation is that where there's, the, where there's an opportunity uh, for corruption, there will always be that risk. And where there is, let's call it the lack of a deterrent, uh, obviously the likelihood of that corruption uh, happening is much greater. When we're talking about the principles that should undergird service, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, in, in the government sphere, we're talking about the Batupili principles. That's consultation, that's service standards, that's access, courtesy, information, openness and transparency, a critical component in running an organization predicated on democratic principles. Openness and transparency. Redress. Think of that. Redress. Think of it in the question, in the context of the question I asked as around whistleblowers and their protection, redress, and value for money. Now, that's what government employees are required to always embed in their work. Is there a similar requirement, and I'm asking you to delve into King for a bit here, in the private sector for those who control real money in the boardrooms, corporate boardrooms? Yes, I think so. The requirements uh, do not differ. Um, you know, between between public and, and private sector. Uh, you know, you have the Prevention uh, um, of Corrupt Activities Act. Um, you have just genuine ethics. Obviously, in the public sector, you have the PFMA. So, so I don't think, uh, you know, there's, there's a lack of a requirement or any less of a requirement uh, in any boardroom of a private sector entity. We are taking your calls. We understand KGM in Bulugwane is back on the line. Welcome back, KGM. Your thoughts, please, on this very critical conversation, the question of ethics and leadership. Good evening, uh, Songa. So good evening to your guest and to the listeners. Mm. Uh, a very important and pertinent to- uh, topic you, you're dealing with. I think something that we, we need to probably deal with uh, as often as we can as a country because we, we lack that. We, we need that. Desperation on my part is this. I don't mind being unpopular um, as long as I know the principal stance is, is that I believe is correct. But the thin line between that and, and the, the right and the wrong and ethics is that whose view becomes an ultimatum in as far as ethics are concerned. Because here's KGM who believes that 
what he does, his actions are ethical. But then Songhezo is looking at KGM and thinking, what is this all about? Parting short. Our leaders in governance, our politicians in parliament, they call themselves honorable so and so. They punch each other, they yell at each other, they do everything contrary to honorable. Ethically, if you look at the behavior, it leaves a lot to be desired. A thin line between ethics and what you would term yourself as what you believe to be ethics. That, that's the part that I would like your, your guest to ponder on for us. Sure, fantastic. He was listening, so he can respond immediately. Magan Naidu. Thanks, Sergei. Uh, yeah, thanks for those questions. I think um, just on the first issue of um, what what the caller thinks um, in a personal capacity is is ethical or not, um, you know, the, the entities with good corporate governance, uh, most of them have what is called an ethics officer. So if ever an individual finds themselves in a situation where they're unsure of um, what to do or whether what they intend doing uh, is ethical or could be viewed as unethical, you could always consult, you know, with an ethics officer. And you could you could also um, consult with any sort of colleague, you know, that you trust um, uh, as well. So I think the the message on, on that is always speak to someone, get a second opinion, it doesn't hurt. Um, and then, you know, on the second issue, um, I think our leaders need to be setting the example. So you can't, we can't have, you know, leaders behaving in an unethical manner and then expecting everybody else uh, to behave in an ethical manner. So it's about walking the talk. Um, and from you, we spoke a lot about whistleblowers. So just imagine a scenario where um, the leadership is not ethical and the whistleblower is not getting that protection uh, from the leadership. You're almost on a hiding to nothing. You know, it's, it's sort of the, the individual um, is left all alone. We've got one voice note, a contribution coming in from the members of our wonderful audience. And just for those who might be interested, please, I'm asking for some juice, if I could call it that. Don't give us your name. It's not the most important thing. Have you ever been in a precarious position where you have, at the end of the day, had to make a call, a call based on good moral standing and ethics? Have you ever even not been strong enough on the particular day or on the particular occasion you were called to stand up where you turned a blind eye, which on second thoughts, you probably would have either wanted to respond differently or you know for a fact now that you certainly would respond differently. Let's hear the voice note with the hope that we can get one or two callers just to give us an anecdote or two. Good evening, Sangezo. I'm calling from the Northern Cape. I was a visible or I was a whistleblower in the local municipality Namukwe. I, re- I write numerous letters to the public protector. Um, and yeah, I end up have to take early retirement because of the way I was like victimized and not protected. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Songus. It's really here in Christian. You know, Songus. 
the the issue of of whistle blowing really i find it very inconceivable why should should the company rely on whistle blowers whilst there are there should be uh, 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 people who are monitoring uh, the workers or something the monitoring a uh, 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 system or, or yeah you see so there's lack of monitoring and then as a result uh, corruption uh, just just erupts thank you it's really in christian let's take a caller in cape town good evening colin colin good evening good evening uh, Sir you know, you talk about being ethical. You know, I've been listening to this, uh, your program and the radio and it's on the commission and all that stuff. We've got um, charters accountants. We've got people in high places which we put our trust into. Now, if you trust somebody in your business, um, Sengeza, if you've got a business and you employ somebody and you trust that person, that person seems to be um, what you are looking for. What makes them to become unethical and do your business in and going for corruption? I would like your um, guest to answer that. What makes people that you put your trust into become people of what they are afterwards? You know what I mean? I hope so. I hope Magan got that. Magan, final question to you. This is one of our listeners on Twitter, Andile Maibongwe Ingosi. Please ask Magan what he thinks should be done to deal with the CAs and auditors who are involved in corruption, turning the profession into a joke. And I don't need to mention the word fat cakes for you to understand well what exactly is meant by that question. Magan, your response to some of these points that have been raised by our listeners, please. Yeah, I think, um, let me just go, go in order of, of the comments. So I think, uh, the individual that, that mentioned, uh, having to take early retirement, um, you know, I, I suspect that, that, uh, that there were issues at a high level because, um, you know, normally when you, in a municipality, the, the municipal manager would be the highest level of authority. And, um, you know, so I guess, as I mentioned earlier, when, when you don't have the, the protection from the leadership or, or you have individuals, um, that, that wield a lot of power and at a, at top management level, uh, that are unethical, then, you know, you're almost on a hiding to nothing and you, you feel as though you've got no protection. Um, if I if I then um, you know address the the second comment about why should entities rely um, solely on whistleblowers, so I think um, we shouldn't rely solely on on whistleblowers, and that's not the the aim of uh, a whistleblowing policy, but it is a mechanism. So so it's not there for organisations to solely rely on whistleblowing, but it's a mechanism for something to be reported. So it's a mechanism for um, any suspected or alleged improprieties to be reported and, and followed up. 
as you know, as you can imagine, um, if you take a large organization with you know hundreds of employees, uh, some thousands of employees, there's no way that top management would know um, you know everything that's going on in the firm. If you just take us at Ngubani, we you know we've got offices in various uh, provinces. We've got two offices in KZN. We have uh, more than 250 employees. It would be impossible, for example, for myself as the head of assurance to know what is going on uh, with every employee in assurance. So the whistleblowing, um, it's a mechanism uh, with which, you know, um, alleged improprieties or suspected improprieties can be reported and thereafter, you know, followed up and investigated, etc. And then I, I think if I come to your last uh, caller, mm-hmm. What what makes uh, a trusted individual sort of turn? You know, I think it's the it's the opportunity. You know, if 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 the opportunity is there, and uh, you know, we often talk about tone at the top. Uh, so you, if you get an entity where you know there's almost silence on ethics, governance, etc., and there's an opportunity that arises, uh, more than likely the. In, you know, that individual is going to say to themselves, or they're going to think about it, to say, okay, well, I haven't heard anything about uh, any policies, what happens, etc. So I think the opportunity is a big thing, and then the deterrent as well. You know, so if you know in an organization that, uh, you know, six months ago or a year ago that individual X was... Um, you know, caught um, performing some corrupt or being involved in some corrupt activities or shenanigans. And let's say, for example, the individual was reported to the police, etc. So there will be that deterrent. So although there may be the opportunity, there's the deterrent. So I think where you have an opportunity and there's no deterrent, that's when you have a high risk of um, improprieties occurring. Thank you then so much for your thoughts, dear brother, Mr. Magan Naidu, Head of Assurance and Gubani and Co. That's an accounting firm talking to us on the question of ethics and leadership. And as more organizations declare their financials, spare a thought for what has happened in the realm of employment this year with so many people losing their jobs, thousands more, if not millions more, in good time expected to lose their jobs. All of that against the executive pay of those very same organizations that would be retrenching. Is it not? And it's only a question, a question of ethics in leadership. The conversation continues, just not today. 2036, after the break, we continue the show, though. Ms. Roxanne Demata Concalves, Transformation Specialist at Strategy Labor Solutions, getting corporates to mentor SMMEs.